30 men, no other night in their life is as important as tonight. While 29 will fall, one will be given the chance of a lifetime. What's shaking, everybody? Welcome to Punch and Pie. This is going to be a brand new podcast coming to you from me, Mr. Payton, and Mr. Steven Huego. What's up, Mr. Steven Huego? Eh, not much. I'm just happy to be talking about wrestling again, and honestly, not the current product. Yeah. Um, so this is going to be a podcast where we look back, uh, not even just at wrestling, but any kind of combat sport, um, but coming from a wrestling fan's point of view, I mean, you you are a little more educated in other forms of martial arts, uh, and I, I, I dabbled, um, but th- this is uh, something that I almost have to do just because, as you're saying, I, I not as into things. Many, many of you may have known previous projects we've done where we talk about modern day wrestling, uh, we talked about Raw every single week for years. Uh, that, now I can't even watch Raw every week. What else we got going on in January is we're getting close to the Royal Rumble. Um, one of my favorite events yearly, and I think if there's anything that will keep me at least watching a couple weeks beforehand, uh, it will be the Royal Rumble. We're coming up on Raw 25, which is going to be exciting. Uh, any early predictions on what you think might be in the winner of this year's Rumble? Uh, part of me thinks they're going to go with Finn Balor. Um, I don't think they're going to make the mistake of putting Roman Reigns in that spot. Uh, I think they want people to enjoy the Royal Rumble now. Uh, at least I hope so, because, like you, I really enjoy the Royal Rumble. It's my favorite event of the year. And for the last several, I've not been able to enjoy it. So I'm There's hoping so much can... negativity surrounding the Royal Rumble every year. And I miss the yeah. Royal Rumble feeling fun like that. And I, I don't know if I could pinpoint the exact year it was. In, in fact, maybe I actually I can't. <laughs> I think it was, was that 2015? The the Daniel Bryan uh, Batista year? Was that the year? It was one of, yeah, it was the year that Batista won. And ever since then, it's just felt shitty. And I don't know if it's to blame the fans demanding so much to the point where it's just their overwhelming uh, reception has just made it unpalatable to watch when they're going against the story on television or if it's just WWE just doing it wrong I don't know well that leads us to our actual topic that we'll be discussing for this episode Royal Rumble 2001 uh, I think when you look back in the history of Royal Rumbles um, I, I, I think this has to stand up there as far as beginning show to end a show one of the better Royal Rumbles. Um, and I don't think it would have been the first ones that came to mind. You actually are the one who suggested doing this, and uh, I thought it was a real treat. It was, it was a good pick. Well, personally, this is my favorite Royal Rumble. I always hear uh, certain people like uh, the one which Ric Flair won, but that's never really been one that I've enjoyed too much. But this particular Rumble, especially uh, the actual Rumble match itself, is so chaotic and random. There's just a lot to like love about it. All right, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back in, we're going to talk about Royal Rumble 2001. <laughs> hey, what you kids do to me? I'd like to make a collect call. Hey, lady, use your head. Dial 1-800-COLLECT. Aren't all collect calls the same? That's just jibber-jabber. 1-800-COLLECT saves at least a buck or two. I pity the fool who don't use 1-800-COLLECT. Me too. That's so easy. Don't even think about it. Use your head. Dial 1-800-COLLECT. Welcome back, everybody. We are ready to talk about Royal Rumble 
2001. Let's take you back. The date is January 21st, 2001. We're going to Nolens, Louisiana. The Big Easy. Uh, the first pay-per-view ever to take place in New Orleans, which is very interesting uh, considering, again, looking at this modern-day point of view. It just had WrestleMania there a few years ago, and we're heading back there for WrestleMania this year. Yeah, damn, that is a lot of recurrence. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, I, well, I'm, from what I'm told, everybody had a really great experience with WrestleMania in New Orleans. I mean, WrestleMania 30 is, is looked at very fondly, um, even in the, the short time backwards it's been. Um, and, and yeah, just in general, like every, every story I heard of anybody who went and every story I hear about the people involved in the production is just that it was a blast there. So it's no surprise they want to go back. Well, if it's easy from a production standpoint, I could see why they definitely want to do that because I'm sure that's going to be a pain in their ass, especially for like what a big event they do. Um, that being said, it's shocked that it took all the way to 2001 for them to hold their first ever pay-per-view there. The only thing I can think is that, uh... Up until this point, that was still sort of WCW territory. Maybe they just weren't in a market there to do pay-per-views. I don't know. Maybe their house shows weren't running well there. You never know. Mm -hmm. uh, well, this was in the New Orleans Arena. Uh, this show was presented by 1-800-COLLECT. And you want to talk about something to date you to uh, the turn of the century area there. Collect. You see, I know... I never knew what 1-800-COLLECT is because being in England, we didn't have that. Well, because I well, to explain, because I'm sure a lot of people even listening now, if they're younger, probably have no idea what 1-800-COLLECT is. So back in the day, uh, when we had pay phones, uh, when you had to call somebody, uh, you, you didn't have your cell phone. You had to find like a phone booth, you know, like, yeah, you know, like the TARDIS. It didn't quite look like the TARDIS, but probably look a lot dingier it probably look like something out of like an 80s cop movie you picture someone being one of those kind of phone booths and depending on where you live it's not like piss yeah i'd say most likely wherever you live it smelled like piss <laughs> um and when you called someone you had to insert a quarter and you that got you like five minutes and then if you wanted to talk lower than that you had to add another quarter so it's sort of like the the pay for parking or whatever uh, but if you didn't have a quarter you had the option to call collect uh, which was basically you use one of these numbers to call somebody and they would agree to pay the charges on their phone bill. So whenever they got their monthly phone bill from their provider, which that's a whole nother problem at that time, um, they, they would get the bill on their phone line and it, it would cost way more than it would for the court. I remember it would be like a dollar a minute or something. It was really expensive. Oh, so they took rate you over the calls for that crime. Oh yeah, no, the, the, these were ridiculous. Um... And there were a bunch of them. The 1-800-COLLECTOR was not alone. There was 1-800-CALL-ATT. There was, uh, uh, there was uh, the 1010-220s and all those. There was there was a ton of different little competing numbers for that. And Whenever cell phones came out, those basically all dried up real quick. <laughs> I don't think a single one of those businesses is around anymore. Uh, beauty of capital, uh, capitalism. Yeah, so, so I'm guessing these were never a thing you had. You never had uh, the ability to do collect calls in England? I mean, of course, you had phone booths. You're, you're well known for your phone booths. I mean, if we did, it's just something that I was obviously too young to even know about. Quick discussion of our pre-show match. I mean, this will come into play sort of later. Um, the pre-show match on this was Lowdown, the team of D'Lo Brown and Chaz, uh, <clears throat> managed by uh, Tiger Ali Singh. Uh, against the team of Kai and Tai, Taka Michinoku, and Funaki. Um, number one ring announcer. Yeah. The winner of this match was able to choose one member of their team to enter into the Royal Rumble. 
however, um, the the winner of that was Lowdown, but they they would not make it for uh, reasons we'll discuss a little bit later on. <laughs> but uh, pretty worthless opening match. I didn't even watch it. Um, I certainly wasn't on the the network version that I watched. Where, where did you did you watch on the network as well? I watched on the network, so um, I'm glad you said you didn't see it either because I didn't even know about it. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. And there's the implications of it. It means absolutely nothing. Uh, the actual opening of this uh, has this amazing video package, um, as, as WWE, I think, is very well known for, um, building up the 30-man Rumble match and how important it is to all these men, but only one will reign and how much it means going to WrestleMania to get a shot at the title. Yeah, and the, I always love the narrator that always works on those uh, attitude packages. He's got such a badass voice. So they will fight until the last drop of sweat hits the canvas, until they have seized their opportunity for distinction, or until their bodies come to the anguish. Uh, we, we enter with some pyro and ballyhoo all over. Uh, JR and the King welcome us to New Orleans, um, but then we quickly get a quick view of WWF New York. Uh, we'll talk about WWF New York, New York a little bit later. Um, back to the arena with signs, signs, and more signs. Holy cow, so many signs. Uh, so I'm glad you like noticed, was taken aback by that too. I just The first time I noticed that, I was just like, God damn, it's so different now. And I don't know if that's just because WWE's encouraged people not to do it or if people just aren't up for it anymore. There's a little column A, a little column B. And you know what? I think it's a cycle, too, because as they hear that more signs get confiscated, I think people are just less interested in going through the effort if they just don't think the sign's going to make it through, you know? Yeah, I guess people don't want the confrontation. Uh, before you get uh, too comfortable there, <laughs> Dudley boys making their way in. Uh, the damn Dudleys will be challenging against Edge and Christian, the current tag team champions, for those very belts. Uh, this is a classic feud throughout the later part of the Attitude Era. and um, I had a lot of high hopes going into this match watching it now, because I couldn't say I remembered it exactly. Um, overall, i got to say, this, this I'm not going to have a ton of notes for this. Um, the, the story for this is the Dudleys attacked Edge and Christian with chairs, um, I'm sorry, they were attacked by Edge and Christian with chairs, causing concussions, which is just a absolutely asinine story to think about them doing now. The way they talk about concussions in the match, though, it's just ridiculous. They're just joking about them. It's just like, mm. oh, the Dudleys, they got tiny brains. You think they could be, be damaged from those kind of, those chair shots? They're just bouncing around in there. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a number of things you can watch back from this era, and say, oh, well, yeah, well, they're not going to do that now, but, man, especially with all the lawsuits and um, tragedies that we'll have to touch on a little bit later as well, like, there's just no way they would ever, ever do anything like this now. And, and these guys have been feuding for years, so I can't even say this is the, the full setup for their feud. This is just what they were showing in the video package before the match. Uh, match starts off very quickly with the Dudleys attacking them and while Edge and Christian are on the way to the ring. Uh, Edge and Christian try to run away, but the Dudleys stop them. Uh, eventually, Edge and Christian uh, get control, keeping the heat on to Devon, uh, until Edge goes for a pile driver, gets reversed, uh, allowing Devon to make a tag. But unfortunately for him, Christian is distracting the referee, so the ref doesn't see the tag being made, um, which prompts Bubba to start arguing with the referee while Edge and Christian 
head outside, grab some chairs, and go for their patent concerto. Devon ducks out of this one here, though, uh, and that allows him to finally get over to make the hot tag to Bubba. Uh, Bubba Bomb, followed by Wafa! <laughs> Uh, and of course, the patented Dudley line, Devon, get the table. Uh, the ref gets distracted outside, uh, allowing Edge to charge at Bubba inside with uh, one of the tag team belts. Misses wildly as Bubba rolls him up for a two count. Dudley set up for a 3D attempt on Christian, but Edge collides with Bubba for a spear, getting another two count. Uh, this time, Edge and Christian. Set up for a what's up on Bubba Ray Dudley, but the Dudleys reverse it by sending Christian into Edge's uh, bottom region. <laughs> but, uh, really, uh, the, the pelvis. Um, follow that up with a 3D on Edge for the 1 2 3, allowing the Dudleys to win the tag titles for the second time uh, in their careers in WWE. I looked this up uh, after the fact, and while this is only the second time they'd ever win the tag titles, um, they would go on to win them four more times in the year of 2001 alone. <laughs> Damn, that's a lot. Yeah, it uh, speaks to how much those titles were switching around. What's dope about the end of this match is freaking Bubba Ray Dudley's celebration. He is screaming like a freaking ogre, and he comes off like a maniac that's why i had to look it. into it because they were so happy and jim ross was celebrating i was like was this their first title win and i was actually shocked to find it was their second it seemed like it was important to them so yeah it makes a lot of sense mm -hmm. with importance we have a limo pulling up on the outside and we don't have to wait this was something they did so much in this era both in wwe and in wcw they would Limos. have a limo yeah a mystery limo pull up and you wouldn't know who it was and you were lucky if you found out who it was by the end of the show sometimes. <laughs> but we didn't have to wait for this one. It was Drew Carey. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, Drew Carey. Oh, we're going to have plenty to talk about with Drew Carey here. His very first segment uh, is him walking into Triple H and Stephanie's uh, dressing room. Triple H and Stephanie were discussing the upcoming title match, and Triple H is worried about Stephanie interfering and... Wor uh, worried about her personal affair with uh, Trish Stratus and them getting into a fight with each other during it. Uh, but Drew Carey interrupts. Um, <laughs> Triple H is, uh, gets completely shut down by Drew Carey when Drew Carey's like, yeah, I, I haven't been watching. I don't really know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised they like let him say that line on there. It didn't let him off great, but... <laughs> no, it, it made it seem like, yeah, I don't, I don't really care. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I ain't got my shit to plug though. To be fair though, he did uh, give a shout out to Kamala, which was which was neat. Um, he asks where Vince McMahon is because he wants to talk to him about his upcoming pay per view special. Uh, because this was 2001, and that was still a thing you could do. You could you could do a pay per view special. And again, things you can't do today anymore and <laughs> have no relevance. Um, a business that's died out, just like One in Hundred Collect pay per view. Yeah, there's very few people that can do it, and so even they're struggling now. Mm. Uh, Steph uh, says, uh, oh, I, I know where I'll take you instead. Uh, you're a ladies' man, right, Drew? I'm going to take you to uh, Trish Stratus's locker room. And uh, for a little pretense on that, Trish Stratus is, of course, involved with Vince McMahon. I should say, of course. <laughs> like, like, oh, of course. <laughs> Well, I mean, as, if, you, if you were an attractive young lady, uh, chances are that you were probably going to end up in a story with Vince McMahon at some point during this time. It's nice to be Coincidentally. 
Yeah, <laughs> it's nice to be the boss. Uh, we're not done backstage. We head to the office. Uh, I, I use that term loosely of the APA. And uh, Bradshaw and Farouk are at the table playing cards and uh, talking back and forth. I'll show you mine if you show me yours. Little innuendo there for you. Uh, ends up being their Royal Rumble numbers. Uh, we don't actually get to see the numbers, but we do see them react. And uh, Bradshaw goes, damn, that's going to be interesting. And um, I don't know if I was alone in this, but um, I, I remember thinking this when I was young, and I thought it this time too, and probably because I thought it when I was young. But uh, I expected them to come out like one or two, or at least close to each other. And Ex um, I expected one of them to get like a really messed up number, and one of them get a really decent one. Okay, so you you actually guessed exactly what did happen, because spoiler, yeah, they they never crossed paths during this match. <laughs> so I guess you read it a lot better than I did. Uh, well, I expected it to like be dramatically like where we've got a super awesome one, and one of them got a really a super shitty one, but mm -hmm. but like they, it was really just non consequential. It's completely inconsequential, including what followed it up here, which was Crash Holly entering and giving the APA a warning that if it comes to it, he's going to have to throw them over. And again, I don't think any of them crossed paths at all during this rumble. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, you know, you gotta you gotta try to make things interesting for it, so just show that there's infinite possibilities for it. What really hit me was that Crash is dead now, and that always like strikes me that to think he's gone already. Because um, he was not that old there, was he? No, Crash was very young. Yeah, and I don't think he would last. Because I don't think he was alive much longer, because I swore they uh, paid tribute to him at uh, One Night Stand. <sighs> yeah, I, I couldn't say what the exact timeline on that is. One other thing of note I have on this is, uh, did you did you catch the shirts that the APA had on? Oh no, what were they wearing? <laughs> this has got to be one of the most offensive shirt designs they've ever had. It is uh, APA, and it shows that the APA stands for Always Pounding Ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stay classy, WWE. Uh, we come to our next match, and um, this this one's a classic here. Uh, ladder match for the Intercontinental Championship, Chris Benoit versus Chris Jericho. Um, these guys have been fighting for the better part of the last year, uh, going all the way back to WrestleMania 2000, which is when they were in that triple threat match with Kurt Angle, where both the U.S. and Intercontinental belts were on the line. And that, that's a classic, and I, I hope we do that match sometime in the future. That's one of my favorite matches of all time. Um, mm-hmm. But again, again, these guys have been fighting pretty much consistently since then. Um, and this is just uh, another page in their ongoing saga. Um, this uh, starts off with some basic wrestling for a couple minutes until eventually Chris Benoit introduces the first ladder. Uh, Jericho goes for a baseball slide, but Benoit dodges and sends Jericho into the steps, allowing Benoit to start making the first attempt at climbing the ladder. Uh, until eventually caught by Jericho with an electric chair. Uh, Jericho rams Benoit with the ladder a few times, uh, eventually propping it up in the corner. Uh, it makes an Irish whip attempt, but Benoit reverses it, sending Jericho to flop to the outside. Benoit attempts a suicide dive, but Chris Jericho waits for him on the outside there and then wallops him over the head with a chair in one of the <laughs> nastiest chair shots I think I've I've seen. And what I love about it is that Benoit just keeps going, even though he gets walloped. And 
it just shows like how much momentum he had and the crack is just so loud talk about concussions and share shots god damn Jericho drapes Benoit over a guardrail on the outside, uh, props himself at the top of the ladder, and goes for a ride, dropping himself with his weight on the ladder onto Benoit on that guardrail. Very cool visual. Benoit dodges out of the way uh, and then attacks Jericho with the chair itself. Uh, Back in the ring, Benoit sets the ladder vertically in a corner. Jericho gets lawn darted into the ladder. Uh, Benoit tries that same lawn dart trick again, but this time Jericho reverses, sending Benoit into the ladder. Jericho props Benoit on a top corner tangled inside the ladder and attempts a side Russian leg sweep kind of thing off it. I'm not really <laughs> sure what he was going for there. but um, It was it, a bit clunky, but it worked. I mean, this was still kind of early in ladder matches. I mean... Sean yeah, and Razor was... had their matches almost a decade before, but there still weren't that many matches since then. Yeah, and a lot of the guys that were doing ladder matches were people like the Hardy Boys and Edge and Christian, who are kind of smaller guys and could do a little more silly things. And, oh, hang on, somebody's at my door. Okay. Um... So Jericho pulls down on a ladder against the ropes that uppercuts Benoit with it, which, uh, that was a cool-looking, uh idea with the ladder that worked out a little bit better than that side russian leg sweep thing (laughs) yeah the thingamabob uh jericho makes a climb attempt but benoit grabs him and back suplexes him over the top rope to the outside um allowing benoit to start making an attempt to climb but jericho climbs up to stop him uh, and maneuvers him into a walls of jericho like hold on top of the ladder which is that that's something that's definitely stuck out in my memory from this match. I know I've thought of that spot, and I can never remember where exactly it was from, and I'm very happy to have finally seen what match this was in. Yeah, I was actually really happy uh, when I this match was on the card, because it's one of my favorite and most creative spots, I think, that's been done in a ladder match. You don't ever see many submissions done on ladders, and obviously there's only so much reason to do it, because the whole point is grab the thing down, not submit the guy. So, um, it's a nice change of pace, and honestly, I thought it could have been the finish of the match. Uh, so, Jericho uh, lets go of that. He barely able to tap the title before Benoit knocks the ladder down using only his foot since he's still out on his back on the ground. Jericho goes to reposition the ladder and dives at Benoit from the ladder, but is caught into a crossface. Uh, begins tapping, but it's no good because there's no submissions in a ladder match. So this takes us to the finish where Benoit sends Jericho into a post, uh, tries to do it again, but this time Jericho reverses, slamming Benoit into the ladder. Uh, Jericho rams the ladder into Benoit in the corner um, where Jericho goes to position the ladder. Uh, The two battle on top of the ladder where Benoit eventually ends up being the victor of it. Uh, Benoit goes for a diving headbutt from the top of the ladder, but completely misses, uh, which allows Jericho to prop the ladder on top of Benoit's body, uh, seeming like that would pretty much do him in. Um, But Benoit is able to power him out before Jericho can grab the title, uh, sending Jericho flying down. Uh, Benoit goes to make a climbing attempt. Uh, Jericho sneaks in with the chair, whacks Benoit across the back, 
uh, knocks the ladder over, sending Benoit to the outside. Then Jericho slowly climbs with one good arm, as the other one's been uh, hurt from the crossface, unhooks the title, and retains the Intercontinental Championship. What I gotta say I love about the ending of this match was the way that Benoit hit the ropes when he bounced over and just fucking plummeted to the outside and sold it as almost he was going to interrupt Jericho and that whole hope spot at the end of is he going to finally grab the uh, belt was done really well and I think that's what's lacking in a lot of ladder matches today is the psychology part of it. Yeah, I mean, it, you, you talk about the spot to spot to spot type of mentality and I think even WWE is extremely guilty of that in their modern day ladder matches. And um, you look at something like this and you see two pros like Benoit and Jericho do it. Like this is, this, this is up there with some of the best ladder matches I've ever seen. I'll say that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, any other thoughts about this match? No, other than it's just sad that there's such an amazing match that's kind of just forever tainted. But when you look at Benoit's career, you could say that a thousand times over. We head backstage where we see Drew Carey macking on Trish Stratus, uh, asking if she's ready to uh, upgrade her man, uh, not knowing who her man is currently. Uh, that man is Vince McMahon, who walks in and sees what's going on. Uh, Vince says, hey, Drew, I, I bet you'd really like to impress everybody uh, before your big pay-per-view next week. Um, so why don't you enter the Royal Rumble? And uh, Drew needs a little bit of uh, convincing, but a little bit of a uh, flutter of the eyes from Trish Stratus, and he's in. Drew Carey says he will do the Royal Rumble. <laughs> it's amazing what a what a woman like Trish Stratus can make men do. So, did you you watch this when this first happened? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did. Um, this was a. Uh... This was in an odd time where I didn't have cable, so uh, I used to have to get my friends that did to record it because. WWE was a weird time in the UK. Not everything was on pay-per-view. Not everything was on Sky Sports. Sometimes it'd be on cable. Sometimes it wouldn't. So I uh, got a VHS and like had to watch it like two days later. But yeah, I watched it roughly around the same time. So you were still in the UK at this time. Did did you know who Drew Carey was? Or did anybody know who Drew Carey was in the UK? I'm sure older people did. But for me personally and my surrounding friends couldn't give a fuck <laughs> so for anyone who doesn't know I, I mentioned a lot of modern day people might not even know who drew carey is uh he was a comedian he had a television show the drew carey show uh which was one of the more popular shows at the time actually uh he would eventually go on to host whose line is it anyway um oh i like that show yeah he's, he's overall a, a fairly popular um celebrity figure and we'll talk more about his performance in this but um I don't know what, what what did you think about seeing him here? This was uh not not a celebrity I would have thought to have gotten involved in wrestling. No, he, his entire um appearance on the show felt forced to be quite honest and like he his like as far as his acting backstage goes, I've seen a lot worse. So like the segments weren't exactly horrible, but his presence there just felt odd the whole time. Mm. Uh let's keep moving along here. We head to China. Uh, in the back, getting ready for her match, uh, Billy Gunn, the one, Billy Gunn, enters, urging her to not compete in her match, saying that she's just, she's not well, she can't do it. Uh, China says she's fine, and that she's going to send Ivory to a medical facility. Can't say, can't say hospital. 
You sound really tough when you say, yeah, I'm going to send you to the medical facility. <laughs> like, that really I just wonder, doesn't come off intimidating. Is there a reason? Like, do you know if there's a reason for a stigma on that word? Because, like, Pritchard, Bruce Pritchard said Vince just hates it, but they've never really gone over why. It, I mean, Vince McMahon is one of those OCD kind of guys, and it could just be a word that triggers him, you know? It, <laughs> just one day he woke up and decided he didn't like the word hospital, and he's like, all right, we're not going to use that. He is that type of person, like, just... Now, now, again, this is just a theory. I don't know this for a fact. I am not friends with Vince McMahon. I don't think I even have any friends who are friends with Vince McMahon, so. Do you have any friends that look like Vince McMahon? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not friends with many old people, so. <laughs> Good choice. Um, yeah, and also, the only other note I really have from this uh, segment is uh, just how awesome Billy Gunn is. And you know how awesome a person is when they don't have their own shirt and they're wearing the generic WWF Attitude T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and like all the guys that used to wear the Get the Attitude shirt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so many guys like that, and also I would always wear one. Uh, Michael Cole is backstage with Chris Jericho. Uh, Jericho's breathing heavy, and I, I didn't really get a lot of what he said here, but essentially it was, I proved Benoit wrong. I don't know, did you get anything out of this? That was about all he did. All I noticed was that Mike, it was Michael Cole's voice, but there was this little poindexter there. It was weird. (laughs) This was not the best look for Michael Cole. This was the frosted tips and goatee era of Michael Cole. Yeah, I miss the Cole before that used to get wedged by DX. Oh, it's the same Cole. Yeah, but this one had frosted tips. (laughs) Uh, Our next match is for the Women's Championship um, don't go anywhere just yet. This is this is not a match that it's you want to leave to the bathroom for. You want to stick around for this one. Um, as far as as far as women's wrestling goes, we're still in we're still in the stages of the women's revolution, as they call it. That's going on right now, and it has come a long way. Um, and during this time period, there's not many women's wrestling matches you can say that uh, were significant. I guess is the words I could use. Uh, a Look, lot of let's, them are let's just be honest. WWF Attitude Women's Wrestling was fucking dog shit. It was terrible, and there was probably only one woman for a good period of time that held that shit together. It was Ivory, until Trish and Leader and a few others came along. Yeah, th- there's many reasons why this match is significant. Uh, the first one I guess I want to talk about is Ivory. Uh, this This was a great period for Ivory when she was in the right to censor. Uh, so she's coming in with the button-up shirt and the long skirt and great attitude carried from her. What a great selection for them to have brought into that group. Yeah, I always thought that she was one of the stronger characters in that group. She really fit the role for it, because she was never, like, the most sexiest diva, so this really worked well for her. Her opponent was China, who was the challenger for the Women's Championship tonight. Uh, the story going into this, um, as, as we heard before, China is, is hurt. This was after a right-to-censor attack on China, where Val Venus, who I don't think was going under the name Val Venus, he was in the right to censor. Was he just being called Sean Morley at the time? I'm not sure what he was called then, because I know he was Val Venus for a while. I know he was Sean Morley when he was the GM assistant. Mm-hmm. But he also went for a period of time where he was the big Valboski. Oh, yeah, I'm not sure what he's at. Anyway, he pile drives her. Uh, causing her to have to get carted out on that night. I think that was on a SmackDown or something. Um, they actually have a really great 
uh, cut between in the video package of this where China has an interview on her road to recovery and how strong she's being through rehab. And then Ivory is mocking her in a, a similar interview segment. It's pretty funny. Oh, yeah. I actually thought that was really well done. Ivory, um, Ivory sold this whole segment really well. I remember when I actually went back to watch this, I thought this was going to be one of the ones where I'd give it half, like a half look and be like, oh, I've got to do this. Mm-hmm. But the whole video package is actually well done. And Ivory made me laugh. She uh, played a really good heel role. Um, women are making their entrance. The the right to censor music, just the absolute <laughs> worst entrance theme of all time. <laughs> hey, it, it works so for what it needs to be. It it does. Um, China, who I forgot, but she really has an awesome entrance. Oh, where she has the freaking pyro gun. That was pretty sweet. That is really sweet, and she has the the headgear. Her song's not too bad either. Like, oh, I always liked her song. I thought it fit her. Yeah, China had a great little... Oh, I almost said she had a great package, but... um, Well, around this time, she actually lost a lot of the muscle mass. She didn't look horrible yeah. to look at. I, I'm not sure if this was after she started getting work done, because I know she had her jawline and probably a bunch of mm-hmm. other things worked on. But um, no, China, China looked... She looked healthy still at this point. Match starts with China quickly attacking. This, this, is, a, this is a very emotional match. Um, she starts swinging Ivory around by her hair, uh, eventually... Battling out into the crowd, which of all the matches tonight, this is not the one I thought that was going to spill into the crowd. <laughs> Generally speaking, China beat the shit out of Ivory. She put a really good onslaught on. Mm-hmm. She, um, t- Ivory took some really good bumps, even just like, fall- well, you're going to get into it, like just fall- falling off the top rope and shit. It's mm-hmm. really fun. Uh, she gorilla presses her over the railing to the floor mats. That was a nasty one there. Um. <laughs> Steven Richards tries to make a quick run in. He he came out with Ivory, by the way, but he gets tossed out quickly by China. Um, she gets Ivory into the corner and begins going for a running cartwheel attack, um, but gets sort of stopped up as she's going to hit Ivory and then just drops right to the ground, clenching her head uh, and all the momentum of her beating up Ivory and getting the crowd really hot suddenly just pops like a balloon and all of a sudden everything gets quiet and serious and uh the referee drops down um checks on her ivory sneaks her arm over for a pin ref counts a quick three and then the match is over but we still have china laying there motionless um jerry lawler leaves the commentary table to go check on her the one billy gun comes out emts are on their way out and um i don't remember if she was out for very much longer than this was she at WrestleMania that year? Yeah, the match was uh, China and uh, Ivory, and she came out in the uh, sparkly outfit and beat her. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm glad you knew. Um... <laughs> yeah, it was to set up uh, the the uh, WrestleMania match in the long run, but um, the whole ending of this match was just kind of odd. I almost felt like if she had done the springboard and hit the impact and then fell, it would have looked better. But she kind of like started falling after the rotation. Yeah, I I think it could have been done a little bit cleaner, and or I don't know if that was how they she intended for it to look. But um, overall, I think the story was very effective. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of uh, sympathy for China on this night. Um, Ivory looks like a snake. Um, the right to censor as a whole can take the blame for this. And as far as transition in China from being a men's wrestler to a women's wrestler, this did a really good job of doing it. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it was um, j- 
just the year before where she was wrestling for the Intercontinental title. Mm-hmm. Um, any other thoughts on this? I don't know. Uh, other than I give Troy a lot of shit, but as far as this goes, this was one of her uh, one of the better segments on this show in general. Hats off to her. Yeah, one of this, as I said, one of the best segments for for women's wrestling of this time period. Um, very well uh, played by both women and the company as a whole to uh, to have given them the chance like this. Um, uh, we head backstage to the hairdresser's room where Stephanie's entering saying she uh, she needs some emergency work done. I don't know, women shit. Uh, uh, Bobby, but, uh, I believe it was a uh, bobby pin come loose. You no. really have to pay attention to this type of thing. It's serious business. Okay. <laughs> but um, hairdresser's a little busy. We see Trish is in the seat, but Trish is like, oh, no, it's fine. You, you can have it. And uh, I don't know, they get catty and they talk about touching each other. Something. <laughs> It's about all you needed. Yeah. Uh, we head to the locker room where uh, Drew Carey gets handed his gear for the ring. Uh, a lovely uh, black tracksuit. Oh, this makes me an official wrestler now, huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he gets to meet his first wrestling buddy, Kane. <laughs> a man of many words. Yeah, it could be worse. He could have spilt coffee on him. Oh, <laughs> Um, head to another part of the backstage locker room where we see Lowdown arguing with their manager, Tiger Ali Singh, over which one of them <laughs> should get to enter the Royal Rumble, because as I said before in the pre-show, uh, they were victorious over Kai and Tai. They're arguing until Vince McMahon enters and says, well, unfortunately, guys, neither of you are going to be entering. You are going to be replaced with Drew Carey. So an unfortunate break for uh, for Lowdown. Tiger Ali Singh asks, Drew Curry? Who is Drew Curry? <laughs> Get it? Get it because he's... So bad. Because he's Indian? <laughs> All I've got to ask is, <laughs> why the hell is Chaz and D'Lo Brown Indian? And when did Tiger Ali Singh stop being their manager? Like, what's the connection for them to be wearing turbans? I have no placing of any of this. Because wasn't like Dealer Brown in a Black Rights movement prior to this? I think he was prior and then again afterwards. <laughs> no. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And then so as far as so Chaz, D-Lo, I don't think he had anything to do after this. So Dealer has uh, been in a Black Rights group. He's been um, an Indian and been in a biker gang. He's in a pretty <laughs> varied career. Yeah, he keeps it fresh. Yeah. So for anyone who ever gets upset about Drew Carey, a celebrity being in the Royal Rumble. Just just think, would this really have been any better if Chaz was in it? Yeah, but didn't Drew Carey get put in the Hall of Fame? Yeah. Is Chaz in the Hall of Fame? Are you saying that if Chaz was in this Royal Rumble, Chaz would be in the Hall of Fame? Well, you never know. <laughs> what if, okay, just, hypothetically, just say that they forgot to eliminate Chaz. And Austin gets out the ring at the end, and Chaz is still in the ring, and Chaz wins. Oh, my gosh. Could have happened. It would have been Chaz at WrestleMania 17, biggest crowd ever for WWE. Yeah, Chaz one-on-one with the Brahma Bull, the Rock. <laughs> with Tiger Ali Singh in his corner. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, we head to WWF New York for some fan interviews on uh, who they think is going to win the upcoming WWF championship match. 
I've never hated fucking wrestling fans so much. I in my know. Life. I think Kurt Angle's gonna win tonight because he's a real champion. Because it's true, it's true. Well, I think uh, Triple H is gonna win because, of course, you know he is the game, and Kurt Angle's way out of his league. And Triple H is going to be the five-time WWF champion. It's true. Uh, Triple H is gonna kick Kurt Angle's butt. He's the game. He's the best. No doubt about it. Kurt Angle's gonna win it tonight. He's a man of integrity, intelligence. I mean, come on, he's an Olympic hero. I always fucking, uh, every guy that said Triple H is going to win, yeah, uh, Triple H is going to win. He's uh, the game, so it's going to win. Yeah, it's the game. <laughs> yeah, these were awful. And no surprise they don't do this anymore. So we have one more backstage segment here with Triple H uh, staring at himself in a mirror and breathing heavily. I mean, if you saw how many fucking forehead veins you had, um, you might be freaking out a little too. I imagine when you're uh, you have that many veins popping out of you, you probably can't breathe normally. <laughs> probably, it's probably the only breathing you can do is the heavy breathing. That's why he's always the game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So our semi-main event it is for the WWF World Heavyweight Championship. It is Triple H uh, challenging against Kurt Angle, the champion. Uh, story for this is mostly, from what I gathered, it seems like it's mostly about Trish and Stephanie. Um, Trish is manipulating Vince McMahon, and Stephanie doesn't like it, and for some reason that involves Kurt Angle and Triple H. <laughs> That's basically what I got out of it. Now, according to Bruce Pritchard, the original idea for this was for Kurt and Stephanie to actually go off together, but it got nixed for some random reasons. I wonder why. So this was the event where it all got broken, huh? Mm-hmm, this is where it all got fucked. <laughs> Damn. Kurt could have been something so special. Instead, he's just yeah. a Hall of Famer with a bum neck. Just a sexy Kurt. <laughs> um, so this match starts off as a really basic main event back and forth. A uh, little brawling to the outside. Triple H drapes Kurt's leg around the post, slamming it a couple times. And grabs a chair, smashing it against Kurt's leg. He slaps on a figure four afterwards, um, using the ropes to his advantage. The ref doesn't see. Trish tries to sneak under the rope to get the ref's attention to see that Triple H is cheating by using the ropes. This prompts Stephanie to come over and attack Trish, slamming her onto the table, uh, and then mounting her for the daintiest little slap. It's, it's actually <laughs> kind of cute, this dainty little slap she hits on her. And now her slaps are like the fucking M. Oh, <laughs> no. Yeah, now I would never want to be in the line of fire, one of those. People are just like... Because you hear about wrestlers talk about it off camera. Apparently, she's got a mean fucking hook on her. Uh, this prompts Vince McMahon to make his way out from the back to break up the cat fight. Unsuccessfully, <laughs> um, Vince uh, lifts, lifts Trish over his shoulder to carry her out like a little child. But Stephanie McMahon just charges after her and rips her down, taking Vince with them, which is just a hilarious sight. Yeah, the brawling is so bad. It's just so comical. But at the same time, you're just like, eh, this is the attitude error in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, so... Finally, all three of them make it to the back, and oh, what do you know? We're left with the actual like main event wrestlers here. <laughs> yeah, I love that Triple H apparently has just been standing watching the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's just standing there. Uh, Kurt Angle tries to sneak up for a roll up, but only gets a two. If this was modern day, that would have been where this match would have ended, <laughs> like, for sure. Uh, Triple H returns uh, to Kurt Angle's knee for a little bit, but Kurt reverses it and begins to take control. Hits a DDT for a two count. Uh, inverted atomic drop, bridging German suplex, another two count. Uh, Angle climbs up for a possible moonsault, 
but Triple H catches him and hits him with a low blow to stop him. Uh, hits him with a razor edge and gets multiple two counts. That was cool to see, Triple H hitting a razor's edge. Yeah, I did see that, and I think uh, Jim Ross called it a modified razor's edge, but I was like, yeah, it looks pretty legit to me. It was nice to see him uh, throw some like a little tribute to the click. Uh, pedigree attempt, but countered. Uh, and then the counter was countered into a counter, causing Angle to drop into Triple H's groin. Did, did that make sense? I don't know. <laughs> That's how I have it written here. Yeah, he just kind of fell forwards out of the corner and just landed head first in Triple H's balls. Yeah. It was a pretty cool spot. It was cool. It was a series of counters. That's why I can't really explain it, because there was like, there's like there's a Ring of Honor series of counters. <laughs> yeah, except there was selling. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> uh... Angle then nails a fantastic moonsault. Uh, Angle rolls outside. Triple H dives from the apron, but accidentally hits referee Earl Hebner. The poor guy just takes so much abuse. Uh, Triple H whips Kurt Angle into the post, um, allowing him to climb to the top corner, where he gets caught by Angle with a flying arm drag. Uh, Angle goes for the pin, but unfortunately, referee Earl Hebner is still out on the outside. Kurt Angle goes out to check on him, but Triple H sneaks from behind and shoves Kurt into the steel steps, where Kurt Angle was between, also hurting the referee even further. So (laughs) poor Earl just can't catch a break in this match. And stay down. Yeah. (laughs) Triple H uh, grabs the title, attempts to hit Kurt Angle with it, but Kurt low blows him and hits him with a belly to belly. Kurt grabs the title himself and goes to hit Triple H, but this time Triple H hits him with a low kick, allowing him to hit a pedigree. Goes for the pin, but, oh, well, wouldn't you know it, the referee is still out. Earl Hebner is still down on the outside. This time Triple H goes to the outside to check on the ref, and Stone Cold Steve Austin charges out from the outside and attacks Triple H. Uh, Stone Cold grabs the title, nails Triple H square in the forehead, grabs the referee, rolls him back into the ring, and well, you think he's done, but then Stone Cold's like, nah, goes back in the ring, hits a stunner on Triple H. Kurt Angle slowly crawls over. Referee starts stirring, makes the count. One, two, three. Kurt Angle successfully defends the WWF heavyweight title. Man, the whole match itself felt weird to me, and I don't know if it felt weird to you because of the babyface heel vibe. This match, no, you're not wrong. This match was confusing. This match, uh, borderline kind of sucked. I don't want to say it sucked because everything was technically there, but without that babyface heel dynamic, nobody knew who to support. Triple H, I felt, was wrestling as the heel. But then that dynamic switched during the match, and then it switched back. But then the focus wasn't even on them for majority of the match because you had the whole thing going on with Stephanie and Trish. Actually, you know what? You're right. Yeah, fuck this match. Yeah, like, like I'm not putting anything on the performers. I'm not saying they were botching all over the place, but... The story of this match sucked. It was in not ring a good te- match. In ring and technically, it was sound, but it was just... The dynamic was all wrong. I, well, let me put it this way. I think it was the weakest match of the night. Yeah, I mean, we didn't see that fucking uh, one minute and 57 second match between Lowdown and Coin well, Type, apparently. Okay. Well, that was... Yeah. But as but, far as on the main but show... But you know what? Considering it was less than two minutes, it was probably uh, less offensive. That's very fair. Uh, any other thoughts with this match? Um, Kurt Angle would, um, I guess he would lose it the next month to The Rock, because The Rock went into WrestleMania 17 as champ, right? Yeah, he lost it at No Way Out, and that was the same night that Triple H beat Austin, yet Austin still went on to WrestleMania. We have Undertaker shadowboxing, 
And then we head to The Rock with Kevin Kelly on the interview set. Uh, the Rock compares the Royal Rumble to one big pot of jambalaya because we're in New Orleans, so we've got to make a Cajun food reference. Um, seems like the big story that The Rock is trying to put over here is uh, everyone's asking, is the Kane and the Undertaker going to be working together in this Royal Rumble? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, if I have one complaint of this show is that they didn't really have many uh, interviews or anything with people to talk about the Royal Rumble match. Yeah, that is one of my favorite like, things. They didn't seem like there were too many uh, storylines going into the Rumble match itself. It was pretty much, is Kane and Undertaker going to work together? Yes, they are. <laughs> All right. And it's not going to have anything to do with anything. <laughs> Just gonna eliminate a few people. All right. We're gonna have a good night. Scotty. All right. Tonight we're gonna ruin Scotty Two Hotties' day. That's about it. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, we we have a lot to talk about with this match. Um, is there any other thoughts about um the Rock or or any pre thoughts before we get into the Royal Rumble match itself? Yeah, his forehead's fucking huge. Yeah, yeah. Another guy who shaved his head not too long after this. So yeah, we head to our main event, the thirty man Royal Rumble match. Uh, we have a man who already did shave his head, the Fink, and he is running down the rules for the Royal Rumble match, which is tradition, as far as I'm concerned. This is going to be a little tough to call, and as far as like a play-by-play thing, so we're just gonna just gonna try and do our best here, folks. Stick with us. <laughs> uh, number one is Jeff Hardy, who was uh, mainly still a tag team wrestler at this time. He might have had a an Intercontinental title run or something by this point, but. Long before he ever got his world title runs. All right, number two was Bull Buchanan, who was one of the members of uh, Right to Censor. Uh, I'm sure he's going to go all the way. You know, it's, you know, it's B squared. I think he could have made it. Uh, number three, after they they fought for a couple of minutes, uh, was Matt Hardy, which quickly uh, puts a disadvantage to Bull Buchanan. They double team him and get him out pretty fast. Uh, the two of them do a double fist bump, uh, the Hardys, that is, and begin fighting themselves. And um, the King makes a great point. Why don't these guys just wait and double team people as they come out? I mean, this is literally a story for two other wrestlers in this match. Why couldn't they have done it with these guys? And uh, a few years later, we would see many videos and drug episodes, which would explain why. Well, okay, that's fair. <laughs> but, you know, you know, they never did anything with this... Um, with that style in a Royal Rumble match up until I think it was 2010 when they finally did it with the Nexus. Like, how come no one's ever made a pack to work together in it? I mean, like, it was Taker and Kane, but it wasn't real major. Um, I always liked uh, CM Punk's version with the Nexus. He really did it well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a really fun... More people should do that. Well, you rarely get factions anymore anyway, so it'd probably be tough. But even a tag team, it makes sense. But anyway, they, they two of them get interrupted eventually when Farouk makes his way out. So, as we were saying before, Farouk did get a pretty crappy number. Number four, the double teaming resumes on Farouk. We get a twist of fate followed by a swanton bomb. Farouk gets eliminated. Uh, Matt quickly tries to throw Jeff out, which pisses off Jeff. So he takes off his shirt, which prompts Matt to take off his shirt. I love how they always get a pop for that, though. They do. But it's always the really high-pitched scream. Yeah. <laughs> Number five, uh, MVP right here, Drew Carey. 
uh drew carey enters in his uh adidas jumpsuit matt and jeff continue fighting uh almost not even noticing that he's there um the hardy boys fight up to the top of a corner and end up actually eliminating each other leaving drew carey as the sole survivor for now they should have said haku you're going in next just have fun (laughs) well they didn't do haku but they did do uh, another monster with kane Coming out as number six, uh, as soon as you see all the fire burst out, you you knew things weren't going to be good for Drew Carey here. Uh, fortunately, Kane is taking his sweet time while uh, Drew Carey cowers in the ring. Uh, once Kane get there, Drew offers a handshake. Uh, Kane just doesn't even flinch at it, doesn't even move. Uh, then Drew Carey pulls some money out of his pocket, offers that to Kane, to which Kane slaps it away. Uh, then grabs a handful of Drew Carey's throat just as number seven buzzes and out comes Raven for the rescue. Not the knight in shining armor I'm sure Drew Carey would have expected, but um, yeah, I'm sure he's like happy the, the knight in smelly brown clothes. I don't know. <laughs> 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 Drew Carey gets saved from the choke slam, but he knows when his goose is cooked, he eliminates himself by jumping over the top rope to the outside, and the crowd gives him a fairly polite reaction, actually. I'm impressed. You know what? I think he would have got a shittier reaction in this day and age. He absolutely would have. I, I don't think he could have done this now. That's a weird dynamic. Celebrities used to get way more slack back. Well, and I'll say this. Drew Carey was popular at the time, and he was actually pretty well liked. Like, this is not this. Like, if they had done this now, and if they had done it with, like, Chrisley, <laughs> like that, it's like, that would not go it, over at all. They've done it, like, they've got away with it a couple times, like when they did Seth Green, he was okay. But they've got to be real careful with which celebrities they do it with now. Well, when Raven comes in, things start getting a uh, little more hardcore. We get the introduction of trash cans, kendo sticks, stop signs, uh, and Al Snow, (laughs) who just charges out from behind and attacks Raven. Uh, And then the buzzer sounds, and I guess we realize that Al Snow is supposed to be number eight. He just ran down early, which... I guess some years gets you disqualified and some years it doesn't. So whatever. Well, some years there is a disqualification. Some years you can have hardcore match. Yeah. Yeah. So who knows? Whatever. The rules are whatever they want each year. Um, Al Snow introduces some more weapons, including a bowling ball, nails a 7-10 split right on Raven. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have another thing written down here. Another joke that hasn't aged very well. Yeah, I'm just going to pull the color a little bit on that one. Al Snow and Raven try to double-team Kane with the weapons, uh, just as number nine heads on his way down. It's Perry Saturn, along with uh, Terry Runnels, and hubba hubba, Terry Runnels. Oh, my gosh. Was this pre-moppy or post-moppy? I want to say this is (laughs) post-moppy. Because, I, I don't know, Perry um, Perry Saturn's an interesting fella. Um, he was very bloated at this point. Did you see how his arms were kind of sticking out? Yeah. Like, he, he couldn't was, uh... quite put his arms all the way down. He was like that kid from Christmas Story. He's like, I can't put my arms down. I remember when the Alliance came, it was around the time they canned him. So, that makes a lot of sense. I don't think he was around much longer. So, we get a triple team on Kane with Perry Saturn, Al Snow, and Raven. Uh, until eventually number 10 comes out, uh, Steve Blackman. And this is when things get a 
really crazy, a little too crazy to track. There's weapons all over the place. Everyone's beating the shit out of each other. Uh, number 11, Grandmaster Sexay. Chaos is continuing, and at this point, you've you kind of forgotten about Kane for a second. He got, uh, I don't know, he got hit with something. I guess they had knocked him down to a point where he was uh, too heavy to try to lift over the top rope, so the rest of them started fighting each other. It's going to be like, hey, Kane, you're going to be here a long time, so just take a rest. So Kane is a little bit forgotten about at this point, and he just hulks up out of nowhere with a trash can and then just starts destroying people. He whacks Grandmaster Sexay first so hard, sends him over the top rope and eliminates him. I think he was in there a grand total of like a minute and 10 seconds, uh, which is far from the shortest time in this match. So, you know, I guess that's going for him. Uh, he pretty much takes down everybody in the ring with the trash can, uh, throws out Steve Blackman, who tries to skin the cat, but Kane smashes his head with a trash can lid. Uh, Al Snow, Raven, Perry, Saturn, all quickly eliminated, leaving Kane alone for number 12, the Honky Tonk Man. <laughs> I'm not was sure. This the last, was this the last Honky Tonk Man appearance we ever got? Like ever? No, we've definitely gotten more Honky Tonk appearances since then. As far as a Rumble appearance, I don't know. I think he might have done another one. Uh, well, this is a pretty fucking awesome moment. This was a great moment, and I was actually going to say, I think this is the first, um, like, nostalgic Rumble entry. Because those are, like, commonplace now, but I can't think of any of them before this that were like, hey, remember this older guy? Isn't this cool? Yeah, if you don't do it now, people get upset. Right. Before this, like, they, they would have, like, surprise people, but it would be like, oh, look, it's Peroth from Mexico. <laughs> It's like, hey, uh, Mr. Perfect hasn't wrestled in a year. Yeah, that, that would be the most you would get maybe with that. So yeah, Hunky Talk Man makes his way out. He asks Kane to step aside so that he can sing his song, which he sings the Hunky Talk Man song. Uh, but Kane's having none of it, grabs the guitar away mid-song, smashes it over the head of the Hunky Talk Man, shakes his head, and eliminates him. He's a fun Ooh, He's cocky, he's eliminated. <laughs> Um, so after that bit of fun's done, we get number 13, The Rock. And now that we got all the, all the jabronis taken care of and gotten out, we get the main eventers battling here. It tends to be a problem in these rumbles is there's always that, like, after you get the first few people going through, there's always this lull, it seems, where you're just getting all these people. It's like, yeah, okay, none of these people are going to win. At least they spiced it up in 2001 with the weapons, though. This, this is true. This is true. I think that's what made this a bit easier to get through than a lot of other years. Mm-hmm. When it's like, like oh, here instance, comes guy from random tag team that's not going to win this. If you want to take back to a painful Royal Rumble, as far as nobodies, think about 1997. Some of the fucking weights that you had to get a decent guy in the match was insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have a back and forth between Kane and The Rock. Uh, this is the first guy to really fight Kane as like an equal, as opposed to everyone else who, if they were lucky, they could try to double team or triple team him. So mm-hmm. this was the first uh, first time we felt like we had a fight in the Rumble in a while. Uh, out comes number 14, The Good Father, another member of the right to censor. Uh, Rock quickly eliminates him, though, like the jabroni he is. 13 seconds in the match, which uh, probably would have been the shortest time in the Rumble, except uh, number 15, Taz, <laughs> who uh, quickly gets two-hand choked uh, by Kane in the top corner and thrown out like the jabroni he is. See ya. 10 seconds <laughs> yeah it's the shortest time of the rumble there taz 10 seconds if i recall i think this is actually around when taz got hurt oh yeah he's uh started having a similar problems to what edge would have right right um so 
yeah, that's probably why his time in this match was so short. Um, in fact, I know he's not the only one who had a short time in this match. Um, we'll get up to that one in a second. Number 16, Bradshaw, who, hey, listen, JBL, he ain't going to made to be look like a jabroni, so he hangs around for a little bit. He doesn't get eliminated right away. 17, Albert, who charges in, and he also kind of hangs with the big guys like uh, Rock and Kane. I was kind of surprised by that, but, you know, I, that's the opportunities that Warrior Rumble creates, but even, like, you know, if someone like Crash Holly goes up to the Rock, he's just going to get bitch slapped, you know? <laughs> Albert actually got some offense in. Yeah, he got a nice, um, that scissor kick on Kane was pretty sweet. Uh, what was kind of funny with uh, John, I was in the room at the time where I was watching this. It's always funny when you see a newer fan watch some of the older products. She's like, is that Tensai? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> 18, uh, Hardcore Holly. Uh, I, don't, I don't really have anything significant going during that. 19, K-Quick. Getting rowdy. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I always forget that his name was K Quick, and it makes me laugh because he was obviously Ron Killens for the longest time. Um, God damn, he was a lot smaller back then. He's tiny. Yeah, this is like this is like a cruiserweight at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, number twenty, Val Venus. So actually, I'm pretty sure they called him Val Venus here. So yeah, his name had to have still been Val Venus. Okay, uh, but he was, of course, in the right to censor garb as well. So many right to censor people. Number 21, William Regal, the current European champ, who also was in there a very short time. By the way, great reaction from him when he did go out. Yeah, absolutely. Always lots of respect for William Regal. Um, but uh, I looked into this. He was in this really short also because he was injured at this time. He was he was, uh, he was was wrestling through the injury, and they, they, they just didn't want to take any chances. They wanted him to be able to continue wrestling. So oh, I no didn't sense know getting that, hurt in a rumble. Didn't he uh, face Jericho at Mania that year for the IC belt? Yeah. Yeah, okay, that's right. Yeah, so they, they didn't want him to get too hurt when they, they had a Mania plan for him. Uh, number 22, uh, this is a test, who tosses Regal out very quickly. That's how short Regal was in there, and then goes right after uh, Albert, which I thought was a nice touch. Man, talking about how Crash Holly had passed away, it's sad that can even test has passed away now. Yeah, someone real young. Although, yeah. I mean, if you saw him in his later years... It's, well, uh, yeah, I was um, I was mentioning that to Jana that he was like the fucking poster boy for PEDs by the his TNA run. Mm-hmm. I mean, if TNA gets rid of you because they're worried about your uh, steroid use problems, mm-hmm. number twenty three, the returning Big Show, um, <laughs> and they, they were like really selling the shock of this return of Big Show. So I was like, all right, I got to look into this because I'm always intrigued when we're watching old stuff and you hear about a return or you know some type of thing in history where I'm like, okay, what's the implications of this? Where did this happen? When did he leave? Um, so I looked into this. Uh, this is the first time we're seeing Big Show since August of 2000 uh, when he was pulled just before SummerSlam. Um, this was cited for many reasons. Um, the most well-believed is uh, A, uh, bad attitude, and B, uh, weight problems. So this is when Big Show was sent down to OVW, where he worked for about half a year, and then returned here at uh, Royal Rumble 2001. So fatty, fatty, boom, boom, went to bump. Uh, also a fun fact about this, when he got taken out, uh, in 2000, he was also replaced in, uh, I believe it was the WrestleMania 2000, or maybe it was the No Mercy video game. Um, he was taken out of that and he was, oh. re- guess who he was replaced by in the story that he was in? Guess. Just guess. Stevie Richards. That's Stevie Richards. No way, really? That's, yeah, that's actually where the meme comes from. It's from him being replaced in that game. 
Oh, no way. I always thought that was just something. I didn't know. I thought people just said that for Benoit because he's a generic guy. No, funny. yeah. I never knew that either, but I was doing the research for this. That's where the meme came from. It was from oh. Big Show being replaced by Stevie Richards because it was always so out of place and random. Holy shit, learn something new every day. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there's your facts for the episode. <laughs> uh, anyway, Big Show comes in. He clotheslines out Test. Uh, military presses K Quick over to the outside, choke slams Albert, then Bradshaw, and then Val Venus and Hardcore Holly. Pretty much choke slams for everybody, uh, including Kane. Uh, he goes to choke slam The Rock, but The Rock is having none of that. Low blows Big Show, fights back, and actually manages to eliminate him, uh, avoiding being choke slammed. Or does he? Dun, dun, dun. Buzzer rings number 24 is Crash Holly, but. No one cares about Crash Holly coming out. We got Big Show ripping apart the announce table, yanks the rock out from the bottom rope, and chokeslam him through the table, taking the rock out of action for the next number of minutes of this match. Sweet chokeslam. And generally speaking, Big Show had a really cool uh, intro into this rumble with chokeslamming everyone. The rock looks awesome taking him out. Um, And this is probably one of the highlights of the rumble for me. Yeah. No, for sure. Big return for the big... And the, and the thing is, I wouldn't even rank this as his best return. <laughs> this is probably his uh, second best return. Uh, first one, obviously, being uh, the Floyd Mayweather stuff. Oh, yeah, that was pretty dope. I forgot that was a return for him. Yeah, that was the craziest thing about it, is the, like, here comes Big Show, and then it's like, wait, Floyd Mayweather's doing something? What? <laughs> it was very confusing. Talk about getting a broken nose being one of the best things for you. <laughs> Number 25 is The Undertaker who comes out and saves Kane from being eliminated, which pretty much answers the question, are they going to work together? (laughs) Well, let's take care of that quickly. (laughs) Bradshaw gets eliminated. Crash Holly gets eliminated. Albert gets eliminated. Hardcore Holly gets eliminated. And Val Venus gets eliminated. Just eliminations all around. They've been building up for a while, and this is where we start clearing house. At least they delivered on one story. This leaves Kane and Undertaker alone for a stare down in the middle of the ring. Seeming like they're about to fight, but then the buzzer sounds for number 26, Scotty Too Hottie. <laughs> I love this spot. Um, I loved it. Yeah, big credits to Scotty Too Hottie because he has the fear of death in his eyes as he's making his way down the aisle. So, yeah, he comes down to the aisle. He gets the um, and what's hilarious is he ends up having a fake. You know when Taker goes apeshit on Maven in 2002? Mm-hmm. Scotty Two Hardy enters during that time and eats a right hand from Taker then too. So oh, nice. back to back to back <laughs> years, he gets owned by Taker, and the guy looks like this poor dude just got lamped to slaughter, and they just beat the shit out of him. Yeah, he didn't stand a chance. Um, painful double team and elimination of Scotty Two Hardy. Um, we start seeing the Rock beginning to stir on the broken announce table, so you can expect him to come back in soon. But not too quick, because we need to get number 27 in here, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, But as Austin's making his way down, he gets attacked behind by Triple H. Payback for him attacking him during the WWF title match earlier in the night. Meanwhile, The Rock jumps back into the ring and starts attacking Kane and Undertaker. As we get the buzzer for number 28, Billy Gunn, a.k.a. The One. Billy Gunn gets way more offense than I expected in this match. When he comes out, he comes out and like delivers a shit ton of right hands to Dude, Kane and Taker. As bad as we look at the one Billy Gunn gimmick, this is probably the hardest they wanted to push him. This was the closest to main event he probably got. You know what? So you have to look, keep look, that in mind. If you look at that package, what he was there, like if you got him, a, if you did a different gimmick and just 
he had the look, he had the in-ring work. Right now, he could probably be something. Oh, modern day? I, I have yeah. no doubt. Modern day, he would be a star if if he wasn't busted for steroids. I mean, yeah, obviously. <laughs> I mean, he was swimming with uh, freaking sharks there. There was no way he was ever going to break out. But now, yeah. Plus, he's friends with Triple H. <laughs> oh, yo, he would to- he would totally be one of those guys who gets the picture with Triple H when he wins the title. <laughs> <laughs> so, number twenty nine, another return that we're getting here, Haku. <laughs> so, uh, I again, I wanted to do some research into this. Haku, he was just in WCW seven days earlier, just seven days ago, was in WCW, and get this, won the Hardcore title at the first. And only Sin pay-per-view. <laughs> they're, some, they're fucking idiots. And he just walks right off there after being champion. That's great. Yeah, no, it wasn't even that. He wins the title. He gives the belt to the Barbarian, tells him to give it back to them, and leaves and shows up at the Royal Rumble next week. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and what's interesting, Haku and Rikishi end up being the tag team. At this time, did they? Because yeah, I don't remember what Haku did after this. I know he wasn't there for very long, unfortunately. I actually always thought it was one of the more cool, unique tag teams because Heel Rikishi, like, he he gets made fun of a lot because of the I did it for rock, but he mm. wasn't all that bad. Mm-mm. Well, Haku makes a beeline for The Undertaker. Uh, Austin is a bloody mess by the entranceway oh, yeah. from the Triple He's H attack. Ju- his juice job was awesome. It was all over the back of his head and everything. Mm-hmm. It's nice about that uh, that bald head. It just mm-hmm. goes right over. No hair for it to get stuck in. Yeah, it was great. And like it kept going for a while. It was probably one of my favorite juice jobs, especially when he stares at the rock. Uh, number 30, our final entry. Uh, we already knew who this was going to be. Speaking of uh, the tag team partner of Haku, it's Rikishi. This was during Rikishi's heel run. Uh, so this was post. Uh, I did it for the rock. This is... I, this, this must be, yeah, this is the month after that uh, Armageddon held a cell when he got choke slammed off the top, so he, he is a bona fide main eventer by this point. He acted um, mid-recovery. <laughs> Rikishi sees the blood on Austin while he's making his way to go down and decides to pick up the scraps, but the rattlesnake strikes, unleashes a series of blows to Rikishi, continues to be a house of fire in t- inside the ring, uh, eliminates Haku, so short time for Haku, unfortunately. Rikishi super kicks Undertaker to the outside. That's That's a big shocker for this. Yeah, that caught me off guard, and I loved how Taker does feet when he got kicked over the top rope. Rikishi goes for a bonsai drop on the rock, but Rock hits a low blow, sending Rikishi over the top rope to the outside. So, see ya, Rikishi. Bringing us to our final four, The Rock, Steve Austin, Kane, and Billy Gunn. (laughs) (laughs) One of these things is not like the other. That was obvious, because Billy Gunn was quickly eliminated. So he didn't make it long as the final four. And always right with the world. Rock and Austin uh, have a bit of a stare down with Austin just super bloody. Awesome visual. Dude, it was, it was a really, really cool visual. It was probably one of my favorite points in the match. Austin had like the sick smile of his face, and I love how the blood was in between his teeth. It was really cool. And knowing what we know now is, you know, this would be the setup for them facing each other at WrestleMania 17, possibly the biggest main event in wrestling history. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a lot of significance to this stare down here. Uh, we get an exchange of blows, which nobody, I think, exchanges blows like these two. The back and forth punches. Uh-huh, like they just fucking throw them hard and fast. Rock goes for a rock bottom, blocked, stunner, 
meanwhile, Kane rises back up. Uh, the three of them start trading shots between each other. Rock launches Kane through the middle ropes. Rock attempts to eliminate Austin, but Kane sneaks behind and lifts Rock out. Uh, but Austin, still safe. Kane chokeslams Austin and does a little bit of a slit throat. I'm guessing that means he's going to eliminate him or maybe he's going to do a tombstone. I don't know. Uh, but we don't get to find out because Austin hits a low blow. Kane tries to go for a chair, but Austin stops him from hitting him with the chair, leaving the chair on the ground. Kane eventually goes for a tombstone onto that chair, but Austin slips out, hits Kane with a stunner, allowing Austin to grab possession of the chair and smacks Kane not once, not twice, but three times with Kane still on his feet after these three nasty chair shots. But he's definitely dizzy. Austin revs up, uh, hits the ropes, and nails Kane with a clothesline, sending him outside for the win. Uh, your winner of the 2001 Royal Rumble, Stone Cold Steve Austin, for the third time. And I will say this, I don't know if everyone will agree, that was the best ending to a Royal Rumble match ever for me. Really? Just the way they built Kane up to be this unstoppable monster. Mm -hmm. He'd been in there since the beginning of the match. He'd had the most eliminations at 11, having more than anyone at that point. He was just looked like an unstoppable monster. Cracked with that chair three times. Still standing, and then Austin hit the clothesline. And what was really cool about this clothesline, watch it, because they do a slow-motion replay. As Austin comes back... He doesn't even hit the ground, like land on his feet. He just rolls onto the ground in slow motion. It's really cool in the celebration, smiling. It's hard to describe, but go back on the <laughs> network, watch the visual. It's just really fluid and cool. Yeah, I mean, I got to say, I at the time, I'm, I think I thought Steve Austin was going to win. But in, throughout the match, Kane was definitely the star in this, as I said earlier. They really built up it looked like, somewhat, like someone that had, you really had to overcome. And... Honestly, if they'd gone with Kane winning, they built him up enough in that one match where it would have been worth going with him. Um, what the hell was Kane doing at WrestleMania 17? I want to say he wrestled Kurt Angle in a match that meant nothing. Yeah, that that sounds right to me. I was I was trying to think of what random mid Carter they put him with. <laughs> I guess Kurt yeah. Angle's better than some of the other people they could have put him with, but um, I mean, he wrestled Great Khali one year, so at <laughs> WrestleMania, yeah, that was a was it for the ECW title. I don't know, but I no, think that was they, Chavo. they did a recreated <laughs> the spot. They recreated the spot for some reason uh, with Kane slamming Carly as Andre sla Hogan slamming Andre. And I'm like, that's nothing like that. That's quite. right. Now that you say that, I remember that. Oh, boy. So, yeah, there's worse things he could be doing. So, when it comes down to it, I think Kane is up there as one of the greats of all time. Mm -hmm, I, I think he every bit deserves to be into that conversation as much as The Undertaker does, except for WrestleMania. <laughs> yeah, he has got a crappy WrestleMania track record, and you know what? I mean, I mean, The Undertaker's gotten a lot of good WrestleMania matches, too. Kane, on the other hand, it's just, it's just pretty bad all around. <laughs> all right, guys. Um, so that is going to wrap us up talking about Royal Rumble 2001, unless you got something else you want to add. No, nah, that was pretty much it. Solid guard. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and we're going to come back with um, a little something fun for the end here. Don't go anywhere.
Stone Cold Steve Austin for 1-800-COLLECT. I'm not talking to you. What did I do? You're so insensitive. Pal Zero, when you called me last night, shoot out 1-800-COLLECT. You would have saved me a bundle. How do you think it makes me feel? Next time I use 1-800-COLLECT, I didn't mean to hurt you. Me neither. Collect or else. And we're back for the final part of this inaugural episode of Punch and Pie. Um, you know, while, while we do these episodes, um, I, I kind of have a plan for how I want to do them. And every part at the end here, I, I want to do something that's um, that's really fun and still relevant to the topic of what we got going on here. And uh, I couldn't think of any better way uh, to get things kicked off on this show with a return of, uh, well, one of one of the favorite games that we've ever done throughout here. Are you ready, Wago? All right. Are you ready for another edition of Whose Ass Is It Anyway? Oh, I was hoping it'd be this. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of you probably have never experienced Whose Ass Is Anyway. This is a game we used to play on the Raw Post Show. And uh, <laughs> essentially the way this works is I am going to present a cropped image of a ass of a superstar. Uh, and Wago has to get guess whose ass it is that he is looking at. <laughs> uh, very simple. Uh, and actually, I'm going to make this one very easy for you, Wago. All these asses belong to stars who were on tonight's Royal Rumble 2001 show. Oh, okay. So, so that, that should eliminate it down for you. Nice and topical. Yeah. <laughs> Not typically the word I like to use when talking about asses. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, I'm going to send you the first ass now. Wago, whose ass is it anyway? Okay, it's a very pixelated ass. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say Jeff Hardy. You are correct. That ass is indeed <laughs> Jeff Hardy. <laughs> Good guess. All right, so far Wago is one for one on uh, whose ass is it anyway. Number two, who's oh, ass is this? Yeah, <laughs> that one was easy. Yeah. Figured I'd, I'd throw you uh, at least one easy one here, and you probably don't even need the whole image there. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, now that we know that you remember how to play this game, and we all know that you were pretty good at it, so I got to start <laughs> ramping up the challenge a little bit here. Uh, Wago, whose ass is this? Tristratus? No, it is not Tristratus. I'll give you one more guess. Hmm. It's got to be on the Royal Rumble card. Is it China by chance? No, no, no. That ass is Billy Guns. That's Billy Guns. <laughs> I just sent you the full size image. <laughs> oh yeah, you're not kidding. <laughs> it's a very nice ass. Uh-huh. Very, very good complexion on it. Um, all right. There you go. We, we it was wearing a thong, so you could see why it went that way. Yeah, that is very fair. All right, here we go. Whose ass is this? I can't tell if... Oh, I hope that's a chick's ass. <laughs> you got confused last time. Now you don't know. Yeah, I know. Now I'm, like, worried. <laughs> is that Tristratus's ass? <laughs> no. That is China's ass. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> I love this picture with Billy Gunn. Gotta get Billy Gunn in there again. Well, here we go. Number five. Whose ass is this? Damn, if I say Tristratus enough, is it gonna happen? (laughs) (laughs) Such just a 
So it's only just a tiny cropped part of the ass. It's so hard. <laughs> I know it's the point, but still. Um, is it Ivory? No, this one was actually Tristratus. God damn it, I should have gone. <laughs> See, she's a lot more skiller in that photo, so I went with Ivory. Number six. Whose ass is it? Well, they know that's... Uh, no, it is red, but... <laughs> it is red, but it ain't Ahmed's. Is it Perisette's? That is... <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll give you one more guess on it. Alright. I feel like you know this one. I should know this one? I feel like you know this one, yeah. Mm, I'm trying to guess it from the tights, because I see a bit of blue on the side. Um, I think it's blue, I'm colorblind. Is it... Am I going to kick myself for not knowing this one? Maybe. It's not William Regal boy chance, no? No, it's Kurt No, he wouldn't, have white, he wouldn't have white boots. Oh, Kurt Angle. Oh, I keep forgetting he has a single in it. <laughs> Alright. So. Oh, you know what? It looks way shorter from that angle. Alright, well, not good so far, man. We got one last one here. If you, you can redeem yourself a little bit here, alright? Redeem and, myself on the ass. Yeah, and I'll tell you what. You'll see this one here. Whose ass is this? And I'll tell you what. I'll give you bonus points if you can tell me whose hand that is grabbing the ass. That's really pixelated, dude. <laughs> is that a tattoo? I can't even tell. <laughs> it's the tights. The tights? Is that Jericho's ass? It's Jericho's ass, but who's grabbing it? Okay, so I got the Jericho part. You got Jericho. I'm impressed. Can you guess whose hand it is? I'm trying to. Part of me wants to go to Jericho's. <laughs> <laughs> the Tristratus's? <laughs> Um, you know, I'm gonna take a wild one. Is it Tucker Michinoku's? No, that's not a terrible guess, though. It's Christian. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, not a terrible round. Um, you got three right. How did I know that was Chris Jericho's ass? I don't know, I'm actually impressed. I, I'm yeah. shocked you didn't get Kurt Angle, but you got Chris Jericho on that one. Alright, well, <laughs> this has been a, uh, fun first edition of, uh, Punch and Pie... Uh, if you've enjoyed this show, uh, we're still very new here. There aren't a lot of ways to support us. We are going to be on YouTube to start, so please hit subscribe, share the video. Those are the best ways you can do it right now. Uh, eventually, I hope to have an audio-only version up on iTunes, Stitcher, the usual places you'll find podcasts, but uh, don't look for us just there, just yet. We'll, uh, I'm hoping to have us there for now, but for YouTube, uh, Facebook, and anywhere else I can get a video on, you'll find this, and that'll be the best way to watch it anyway, because we're going to have all the visual accompaniments. I mean, you people listen to audio only, you probably have no idea what's going on for whose ass is it anyway. And I mean, so. <laughs> with great A material content like that, you're going to want the visual. Yeah. Yeah. Faux show. Um, you can follow us on all social media places. The Punchin' Pie. That's on Twitter, Facebook, and pretty much anywhere social media is found. Uh, if you want to find me personally, I'm at M-R-P-A-D-E-N. That's Mr. Payton. And uh, Wago, where can people find you? Alright, you can hop over onto Twitter and find me at Stephen Wago. Stephen is spelled with a P-H and Wago is W-A-G-O. You'll find out everything that I've got going on over there. Bada bing, bada boom. Alright everybody, thank you for tuning in for this inaugural episode of Punch and Pie. We're looking at coming at you in a bi-weekly schedule, so we should see you again in two weeks on a Sunday release. Uh, so if you enjoyed the show, look for it again then. Uh, I'm not sure what we'll be doing then, but pay attention to the social media and we'll probably announce it. And we look forward to talking to you guys again soon. See you.